The following is a presentation of Tomorrow's World. Technology is wonderful. Consider the dramatic changes that have taken place over the last half century. We take computers for granted as though they always existed. But as we all know, that's fantasy. Most of us never owned a personal computer even as little as 30 years ago. And smartphones, where were they 20 years ago? How our world has changed in such a short time. Computers make it easier for writers and students to construct articles as they move words and sentences around with ease. By connecting computers to the Internet, we no longer must wait days or weeks to receive a reply to a love letter. No longer do we have to search for a payphone when away from home. No longer must we stand outside when it is 10 below with wind blowing drifting snow. Yes, smartphones have changed all that and so much more. Social media has dramatically changed the way we communicate and relate to one another. Many of us live away from parents, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, children and grandchildren. How I remember the 1950s when my father was stationed in Morocco while my mother, sister and I were in California. We had to arrange in advance for a rare and expensive transatlantic phone call. Today, Skype and other technologies provide an almost instant, inexpensive bridge to almost anywhere on Earth. We post pictures and other pieces of information that friends and relatives appreciate in real time. But is there another side to these technologies? Some say there is. And on today's program, you will be surprised, maybe even shocked, to know what is being revealed about social media. And just as importantly, who it is that is sounding the warning. This is information you and your family need to know. So don't go away. A warm welcome to all of you from Tomorrow's World. Do you realize that the World Wide Web, as we know it, is less than 30 years old? How it has changed our lives, the speed with which we communicate, and how we communicate. What progress we've made in such a short time. But is it all progress? Some say no. Dark clouds are appearing, especially in what we refer to as social media, and warnings are coming from sources that you would never suspect, insiders of Facebook and Twitter. And I'm not referring to low-level employees. I'm speaking of some of the very founders of these platforms. If there is one axiom that it would do us well to consider, it is the law of unintended consequences. While some continue raking in the money, others express concerns over the monsters they helped create. Their concern for children and society in general. Perhaps it's time to take stock and ask yourself, what is social media doing to me and to my family? The road is beautiful, but where is it taking us? Before going to these tech execs, 
Let me bring to you a recently released study that highlights a small but significant portion of the problem. Here is something to consider. In an article titled, Phone Addiction Can Mess Up Brain Chemistry, study finds, scientists at Korea University found that teenagers who obsessively used their mobile devices scored higher on standardized tests that detect mental disorders. The test measured how much internet and smartphone use affected daily routines, social life, productivity, sleeping patterns, and feelings. The same source reported the following. A recent study found 46% of Americans say they could not live without their smartphone. It's obviously hyperbole to suggest they could not live without their smartphone. But it demonstrates the addictive nature of these devices and the platforms found on them. It also shows their importance in the lives of far too many. And addictive nature is no exaggeration. Tech execs and social media founders are now admitting this and speaking out regarding the monsters they helped create. Significant Silicon Valley players are sounding alarm bells. Sean Parker is not as much a household name as Mark Zuckerberg, but his influence is felt by every Facebook user. Parker is a giant when it comes to social media, and according to Biography.com, a darling of the tech world. Beginning as a rogue computer hacker in his teens, Parker showed his early genius as co-founder of the file-sharing computer service Napster. Later, he became the founding president of Facebook. He's reported to be worth more than $2 billion. Parker recently came out regarding the dangers and the damage to culture and to individuals because of such seemingly innocent platforms as Facebook and Twitter. The thought process that went into building these processes, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible, he said. And that means we have to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. It's a social validation feedback loop, exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability and human psychology. The inventors, creators, it's me, it's Mark Zuckerberg, it's Kevin Sistrom on Instagram, it's all of these people. Understood this consciously, he added, and we did it anyway. A different source also reported on this interview with Axios. In it, Parker confessed, I don't know if I really understood the consequences of what I was saying in promoting social media because of the unintended consequences of a network when it grows to a billion or two billion people. And it literally changes your relationship with society, with each other. It probably interferes with productivity in weird ways. God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. Sean Parker is not the only big name in social media to jump ship. And I'll tell you about another one in a moment. But let me tell you about today's free offer. It's a DVD titled, A Culture in Crisis. This is one of our more popular DVDs. 
We are in a culture war, and you need this information. It truly is free for the asking. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call, write, or go to our website, and we'll send you this important DVD, A Culture in Crisis. We never sell or give personal information to other organizations, so you have nothing to lose. Call today, and I'll be back in a moment to give you the name of another individual with guilt feelings over his contribution to social media. Today's offer is yours absolutely free, no cost, no obligation. Call now, 1-800-236-0531. Or write to us at the address on your screen, or visit us online at tomorrowsworld.org. With this offer, you will also receive your free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, full of timely articles and unique insights on today's important issues. And be sure to go to tomorrowsworld.org forward slash digital. Have a digital subscription sent right to your email inbox faster than postal mail. Visit us online now. Before the break, I said I would give you the name of another one with guilt feelings over his contribution to our changing world. Evan Williams is another giant in social media. He's a co-creator of Blogger and a Twitter founder where he is the largest stockholder. No small credentials. In a May 2017 New York Times article, it labels him the guy who opened up Pandora's box. Until he came along, people had few places to go with their overflowing emotions and wild opinions, other than writing a letter to the newspaper or haranguing the neighbors. When asked how he thinks it's going, he responded, I think the Internet is broken. The Times article goes on to explain, but things are getting worse, and it's a lot more obvious to a lot of people that it's broken. People are using Facebook to showcase suicides, beatings, and murder in real time. Twitter is a hive of trolling and abuse that it seems unable to stop. Fake news, whether created for ideology or profit, runs rampant. Ev, as he is often called, has been there. He is what most people consider wildly successful, but the question should be asked, is he happy with his accomplishments? Quoting again from this New York Times article, After fame and fortune come regrets, Mr. Williams is trying to fix some things. So, in different ways, are Google and Facebook and even Twitter. This is a moment for patches and promises. The trouble with the Internet, Mr. Williams says, is that it rewards extremes. Say you're driving down the road and see a car crash. Of course you look. Everyone looks. The Internet interprets behavior like this to mean everyone is asking for car crashes, so it tries to supply them. He went on to confess, I thought once everybody could speak freely and exchange information and ideas, the world is automatically going to be a better place, Mr. Williams says. I was wrong about that. One of the great dangers of social media is the loss of free speech. Young millennials parrot back ideas over the Internet, ideas they learn from socialist university professors. 
This has caused a backlash from individuals who see their countries losing their identities and historic values. The backlash sometimes comes in the form of Nazi and white supremacist hate speech, and this in turn, understandably so, justifies attempts to monitor speech. There is more than enough guilt to go around on all sides. Let's be honest, true hate speech does exist and should be condemned by all sensible people everywhere. But here's the problem. How exactly do you define hate speech? This is not nearly as easy as it seems, because not everyone agrees on what it is. Much that the illiberal left labels as hate speech is no more than politically incorrect difference of opinion. Nearly 2,000 years ago, a former Middle Eastern fisherman warned us about those who promise us liberty without moral authority. In the book known as the Bible, we read his words in 2 Peter 2.19. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Today we hear a lot about tolerance but we see anything but tolerance. Instead, we see a dark age of totalitarianism descending on our world. For example, pro-lifers, those who sincerely believe abortion is murder and speak out for the most vulnerable and defenseless humans, are often painted as fascist hate mongers. However, those who fancy themselves as pro-choice are almost never labeled this way by the liberal media even though any honest person must admit that the latter is destroying the life of something, even if they won't admit that it's a baby. Why is one labeled hate and the other not? Why is one censored and the other not? However, due to real hate mongers who do espouse violence along with fake news and vulgar discourse, it's understandable that there is a cry for monitoring and deleting such on social media and the internet in general. Google hired 10,000 people in 2017 to help monitor hate speech. Twitter also jumped on board to do the same. Fox News reported the following regarding Twitter. The changes announced last month, that is November 2017, broadened Twitter's hateful conduct policy to permanently suspend any account that displays, quote, violent threats, multiple slurs, epithets, racist or sexist tropes, incites fear or reduces someone to less than human. Hate imagery will now fall under the rubric of Twitter's sensitive media policy, and that will include any logos, symbols, or images whose purpose is to promote hostility, and malice against others based on their race, religion, disability, sexual orientation, or ethnicity, national origin. And these policies apply both on and off the platform. How will they define sexist tropes, or incites fear, or reduces someone to less than human? How will they determine what is promoting hostility against religion and sexual orientation? Is honest and civil disagreement hate speech? Given political correctness, microaggressions, and the ease with which liberal university professors have taught students to be offended,
Can we not see where this is headed? Take the case of PragerU. For anyone who doubts the liberal bias and censorship of legitimate discourse, PragerU had so many videos blocked on YouTube that they decided to sue Google, the owner of YouTube, in 2017. Anyone familiar with PragerU knows that it violates none of Google's prohibitions. They have no harmful or dangerous content, no nudity or sexual content, no violent or graphic content. They respect copyright laws, avoid spam, and don't use misleading metadata. They're not scamming anyone, and they are hardly a danger to children. And Prager University's explanation regarding their suit against Google and YouTube, former California State Governor Pete Wilson declares, This is speech discrimination plain and simple. Censorship based entirely on unspecified ideological objections to the message or on the perceived identity and political viewpoint of the speaker. How do social media platforms censor politically incorrect speech? Well, they do it in a variety of ways. First, they can ban content outright. But there are other ways. They can bury content so deep in the labyrinth of available information that unless you have a specific address, you'll never find it. Then there's a tactic where you search for a particular topic, let's say abortion. And all that pops up is the politically correct view on abortion. If you find some of this a bit shocking, you don't want to miss what one exclusive school is teaching. But I must remind you of today's free DVD offer, A Culture in Crisis. A Culture in Crisis reveals stories that you may not hear elsewhere. So be sure to call, write, or go to our website to order or download your free copy. I'll be back in 30 seconds to tell you about an exclusive private school and the surprising details of what it teaches. Today's offer is yours absolutely free. No cost, no obligation. Visit us online at tomorrowsworld.org. Find us on Facebook, watch us on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter. I told you before the break that I would tell you about an exclusive private school. There are 160 Waldorf schools scattered across the United States, but 40 of them are concentrated in California. The Waldorf School of the Peninsula is located in Los Altos in the heart of Silicon Valley. According to a New York Times article, this is where the chief technology officer of eBay sends his children. So do employees of Silicon Valley giants like Google, Apple, Yahoo, and Hewlett Packard. New York University professor Adam Alter explains that 75% of the students there are the children of Silicon Valley tech execs, which is striking. The Waldorf School of the Peninsula shies away from technology, so much so that there are no computers, no iPads, no iPhones. According to the New York Times, but the school's chief teaching tools are anything but high-tech pens and paper, knitting needles, and occasionally mud. Not a computer to be found, no screens at all. They are not allowed in the classroom, and the school even frowns on their use at home. Now, in all fairness, these executives who send their children to the Waldorf School 
are not entirely against technology. They understand the world in which we live, but feel that their children have plenty of time to learn about computers. Here's the point. Schools nationwide have rushed to supply their classrooms with computers, and many policymakers say it is foolish to do otherwise. But the contrarian point of view can be found at the epicenter of the tech economy, where some parents and educators have a message. Computers and schools don't mix. So what should you do? The most significant roadblock to change is admitting to yourself that you need to change. An alcoholic lives in denial, and those who are addicted to social media generally refuse to accept that they are, or to accept that it may harm them. There are others who cheerfully admit that they're addicted, but don't see it as a big deal. But it is a big deal, according to Tony Hassan. She wrote an article in Australia's Sydney Morning Herald titled, Facebook is ripping society apart and other reasons to abandon social media. She begins by describing another powerful disillusioned player. When Chamath Palihapitiya joined Facebook in 2007, it had 50 million users. By the time he left after four years, it had 800 million. He was its vice president for user growth. These days he feels tremendously guilty. I think in the deep recesses of our minds, we kind of knew something bad could happen. The short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we've created are destroying how society works. This is a global problem. Social media is an untamed, multi-headed monster that is impossible to halt in our current world. There's the head of addiction, the head of misinformation through fake news and clickbait, the head of destroying face-to-face -face communication, the head of physical inactivity, and the heads of violent, vulgar, and hate-filled discourse. So again I ask, what does all this mean for you and for your children and for your grandchildren? And what should you do? I'll be back in a minute to give you very specific suggestions about how you can tame this multi-headed monster in your home. But first I want to remind you of today's offer. A Culture in Crisis is a DVD containing three popular programs. This DVD can be yours free for the asking. All you have to do is call, write, or go to our website and we'll send you this special DVD. Just ask for A Culture in Crisis. And I'll be right back to give you specific suggestions on how to tame the social media monster in your home. Today's offer is yours absolutely free, no cost, no obligation. Visit us online at tomorrowsworld.org. Find us on Facebook, watch us on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter. With this offer, you will also receive your free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine full of timely articles and unique insights on today's important issues. And be sure to go to tomorrowsworld.org forward slash digital. Have a digital subscription sent right to your email inbox faster than postal mail. Visit us online now. The internet and social media are here to stay, at least for the immediate future. And not everything about them is bad. 
communication via the internet and social media can be very helpful in times of crisis. And what parent doesn't want to keep up with his or her children and grandchildren if they don't live close by? But as we have seen on this program, there is a downside to these new technologies and platforms. So here are some suggestions on how to respond to the dangers. Number one, recognize there is a problem. As seen earlier on this program, there are individuals who set out to enslave you. Holding billions of followers is a good indication of their success. As Sean Parker now admits, the founding philosophy behind Facebook was, how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? And let's not forget his concern for the next generation when he lamented, God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. As we've seen today, the internet, social media, and smartphones consume a lot of our time, but social media platforms such as Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, and others affect the way that we communicate. Don't slough off the dangers. Point number one is recognize there is a problem. Number two, determine if you have a problem. Addiction is sometimes an elusive term, but clearly millions, if not billions, don't control their time and their emotions on social media. It controls them. For most people, a little honest introspection should be telling, but most people live in denial, just as an alcoholic lives in denial. For your well-being, recognize there is a problem and determine if you have a problem. And finally, number three, tame the beast. There are common sense ways to take charge of your life. If you find you can't follow any of them, maybe Silicon Valley is in control. Here are a few suggestions, and we might want to add television along with the Internet. Mealtime should be time out from social media and tech devices. Put them away. Set time limits for each day and stick with them. Keep a log of every minute you spend on social media. Never text, Twitter, or view your Facebook when visiting with others. It's rude. Never, never text while driving. Call time out one day a week. Call time out when fishing or playing golf. My friends, consider seriously your relationship to these technologies and platforms. Question how much time you spend on them. Question what kind of discourse you exhibit. Are you courteous? Are you vulgar, rude, or disrespectful? Just because it's out there doesn't mean it's good for you. The Bible gives this sound advice. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify or build up. That's found in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. A similar statement to the people of Corinth is made in chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And so I ask, who is in control? Is it you, or is it Silicon Valley playing you like a fiddle? What about your family? Be sure to come back next week when Richard Ames, Wallace Smith, and I, along with guest presenter Rod McNair, will help you make sense of our present world and will share with you the inspiring teachings of Jesus Christ 
and why he must and will return to straighten out the mess we've created for ourselves. Join us again next week. To take advantage of today's free offer or view today's program now or anytime, go to tomorrowsworld.org. Find us on Facebook, watch us on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter. The preceding program is produced by the Living Church of God.